I want you to imagine that you woke up to this text. Quick question for you. I've been noticing your religious posts over the last several months. I've always appreciated you as a friend, but I have to say, I totally don't understand how you can think there's a God who's in charge of anything. Just watch the news or read social media. But seriously, how can there be a God with all the pain, the hatred, and the evil coming from every place on the planet? I just don't understand where you're coming from. How would you begin to answer a text like that? Maybe you're the kind of person who would really quick just shoot something back off the top of your head. Or maybe you're like me, you'd get a text like that and you'd wanna think about it for a while and then you'd just forget to text them back altogether. I know I've done that more than once. But no matter what your initial response is to a text like this, what our friend here has raised is a very deep and important question. How can God allow evil to exist? You know, this is not a a question that just people of faith have been asking. This is a question not just that unbelievers have been asking, rather, this is a question that people of faith have been asking for thousands of years. Psalm 94, three says this, how long, O Lord, shall the wicked celebrate? Many of us have witnessed the kind of evil that we know exists in this world. If you're an older person in this tent, maybe you can think back over the course of your lifetime, how you've seen evil say morality or ethics just decline or become more celebrated throughout your life. Maybe you're a younger person here in this tent or online and you're starting for the first time to see some of the darkness that our world is full of. Many of us, if not all of us, have at one time or another asked the question, where is God in the midst of all this evil? Now, what our friend needs from us is a careful answer, a good answer. But I wonder how many of us feel prepared, capable of providing a thoughtful and a biblical response to a question like this. My hope is that this morning will help us in that direction. Good morning to each of you. It's great to have you under the tent this morning. And thanks for those who are joining us online as well. We are in the middle of a new series, actually two weeks in, a series called True North. It's a series all about renewing our priorities based on the true north teaching of Jesus Christ. Throughout this series, Pastor Chris has taught us already, we have a fantastic opportunity to look at our lives and then to reorder our priorities based on what Jesus has taught. We can lock into true north and make sure that our beliefs, our priorities are aligned with what Jesus has communicated to his followers. We've been using the illustration of the big rocks. And this is an illustration I'm familiar with. I use the the principle of big rocks every week when I put away Lincoln Logs with my son. Gotta do the big Lincoln Logs first so they don't fit in the bucket. But we understand this illustration at this point, right? 
We have to start with the big priorities in life. And if we can start with the big priorities in life, we can make sure that we also have all the other important things in our life. We have margin in our life for those and we're able to include those in our life, but they never take the place of those big rock principles. We've been asking ourselves this question, where do your priorities lie? Where do your priorities lie? And that's taken us to some of the most famous teaching of Jesus. It's taken us to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five. Now, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, these verses will be familiar to you. But in Matthew chapter five, verses one and two, we read these words. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he, that's Jesus, sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them. Now, in what follows, Jesus provides his followers eight priorities, eight big rocks, eight what we call the Beatitudes, what Jesus described as keys to the blessed life. Last week, we saw Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, the first Beatitude was this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And last week, we saw the priority of humility. This week, we're gonna look at the second beatitude or second priority that Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter five, verse four, and it begins this way. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. You know, many of us are familiar with the word mourn. Maybe when you hear mourn, what comes to your mind right away is like a funeral. Or maybe you've received some bad news in your past and you mourned or grieved that news. But we'd be closer to understanding what Jesus is talking about here if we thought about mourning in terms of sin. See, in the spiritual context of what Jesus is talking about here, what he's referring to is a mourning over sin. Now, many of us have experienced that before as well. Certainly, if you've had a conversion experience, you've come to faith in Christ, part of your story was understanding and grieving the weight of your sin, which Christ, of course, became the answer to. But even that is not exactly what Jesus is referring to here. See, in the context of what Jesus is saying, his focus isn't so much on mourning individual sin, but on mourning sin. Mourning the evil that's in our world. We saw a similar thought in our text a few moments ago from our friend. But I wonder, when's the last time you felt that kind of mourning over the evil in our world? When's the last time you grieved over wickedness? Some in here have experienced a great deal of that kind of evil. Maybe you've had two or three or 10 people's worth of evil experienced against you. Sometimes it can feel like we're like, with creation groaning under the weight of evil and the curse of sin that's been placed on this world. So why would Jesus say that we're blessed when we mourn evil? Well, Jesus goes on in the second half of this verse, he says this, blessed are those who mourn 
for they will be comforted. What Jesus tells us here is that among all the priorities in life, all the big rocks that we wanna have, in a world that's extraordinarily evil, we want to make sure we can understand blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. A few years ago, we were working on a, a skit for a, a kid's camp. And uh, I was running the rehearsal and we had a bunch of young adults who were participating. And one of them, a young man named Tyler, was playing the character of Jesus. And appropriately in our rehearsal, he was dressed up like Jesus. He had the full first century garb on. I mean, he had the, the, the first century tunic, you know, no shoes on his feet. Uh, he had the, the big beard and a, a big wig on his head. And we we're going through this scene when all of a sudden Tyler gets a phone call. And before I know it, his phone's closed and he's out the door. Well, I come to find out that Tyler had gotten a call from his sister who had been driving right up here near church up on, off a of Ridge Road. And she had driving in rain kind of hydroplaned off the road into a, a small ditch and it called Tyler to come and help. So if you would have been driving down Ridge Road that particular afternoon, there's a good chance you could have seen Jesus Christ himself pushing this car out of the ditch and back on to the road. Yeah, I, I love uh, to what Tyler told me later that one of the police officers who was on scene as Tyler was approaching the, the scene of the accident, he was trying to explain, you know, this is why I'm dressed that way. The cop just said, hey man, I don't judge. You know, I know police officers see all kinds of stuff. But you know, sometimes I wish that Jesus would show up that quickly in my life when evil was all around me. That's not the way it often works, is it? Jesus did promise to comfort us, but it's not always immediate. And you know, in a world like ours, a world where Jesus promised us, you will have trouble. One of our priorities, one of our big rocks must be how we deal with a world that is filled with so much evil. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. But how do I understand, embrace and share a promise like that? So I can, yeah, text my friend back when they send me a text, but also build my trust in the God that I love so much. Well, you know, in this series, we're not just focused on the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. We're also looking to some of the parables that Jesus taught. Jesus taught parables to cast alongside a truth, to explain or expound upon a principle or a truth that he wanted his people to know. And this morning, in the time we have left, I wanna tell you the amazing parable that Jesus taught called the wheat and the weeds, the wheat and the weeds. Let's have a word of prayer before we dive into Matthew chapter 13 and look at this parable together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word. I thank you that we don't have to go around guessing in this life without a light, but that your word provides words of life to us and illumination for our path. Lord, your people are gathered this morning in your name. That's why we're here, to hear from you. 
So Lord, may our ears be open, may our minds be open to your word this morning as we look at this parable together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're in Matthew chapter 13, and that's a chapter that begins with a parable you already know. Matthew 13 begins with the parable of the sower. Remember that from two weeks ago? Pastor Chris had the sunflower seeds up here and he was throwing them out. Matthew 13 begins with that story. But altogether, there are eight parables in Matthew chapter 13, and the parable of the wheat and weeds is one of them. And all of these parables together explain to us what's the nature of the kingdom of God. This particular parable is gonna help us as we understand the beatitude we read before. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And it will help us to build some priorities, some specific priorities out of this parable to lock into our true north and be faithful to Jesus and how we think and live our lives. So Matthew 13, starting with verse 24, we read these words. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Here we have another farmer sowing seed like the parable we studied a couple weeks ago, but this time the emphasis is not going to be on the good seed that is being cast. Jesus goes on. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. So some time is passed by here. Now both of these seeds are germinating and growing, and now this field looks like my backyard, lots of weeds. Now the servants come to the farmer and say this, the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them, the weeds? But he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn. So what happens in this parable? Jesus tells a story of a farmer who sows seed. At night, the enemy comes in and infiltrates the crop, throws out these weeds. Both begin to grow. The servants notice it and say, hey, should we do something about this? The farmer says, no, leave it alone. We'll wait until the harvest. Now we read through it pretty fast but I know there's a couple people in here at least that are good Bible students. Maybe you feel like you have a pretty good idea just from a quick reading about what this parable entails. But we're all in luck because we don't have to guess. This is one of the very few parables that Jesus actually provides an interpretation for. So just a few verses later, Matthew records this. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And what follows, Jesus gives us something pretty unusual actually, but an allegorical interpretation of his parable. This is what he said. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. So that sower we read about, Jesus says, that's me. 
The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. So the sower is the son of God, son of man. He uses that title in this parable. It's Jesus Christ. The field is the world, and the seed are the sons of the kingdom, believers. Jesus goes on, the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. So think back to our parable. What Jesus says here is that enemy that came and snuck those bad seeds in, that's the devil, and the seed are the sons of the evil one. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And then Jesus goes on to wrap up the rest of the meaning, says this, the son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now that's a lot to take in, even when we do have an interpretation from Jesus. But what does Jesus want us to get from these words? What does Jesus want us to draw from this parable? I wanna share with us this morning eight priorities. Eight priorities from the parable of the wheat and the weeds that I believe are absolutely critical to faithfully following God in a world that is extraordinarily evil. So eight priorities from the wheat and the weeds. Number one is simply this. We must align our expectations to God's. We must align our expectations to God's. Have you ever noticed how expectations affect our attitude? Um, it was about 10 years ago exactly that I got married and uh, we went on our honeymoon to Southern California, which was a blast. But when I was booking the, the hotel we were gonna stay at there, I, I did it online. And one of the things I loved about the place we were gonna stay is that it was right on the water. Pictures made that very clear. And, uh, and so I was thrilled because I love the ocean. I love the water. I thought that'd be great. We can come right down from our hotel and just spend the day at the beach. It'll be, it'll be awesome. Well, when we got there, the hotel was on water, okay? But it wasn't the water, all right? The, the water was way over there. I could see it from our balcony. <laughs> Which means we had to walk across a commuter bridge to get to the beach. Now, we did do that once, and uh, you can probably imagine what Nadia was thinking about her new husband as we, we tracked along that car bridge uh, to get to the beach. But honestly, the experience wasn't that bad, except that my expectations were not what they should have been. That's what made it hard. Here's the big picture from this parable. This is where expectations come into play. The big picture from this parable is until the last day, people of God will continue to exist and those who oppose him will continue to exist. Good will continue and evil will continue. The wheat will grow 
and the weeds will grow. Both will grow into harvest. Folks, it is so important that we understand this principle in this parable. So many times our expectations do not align with God's. And guys, it is so easy to go through life and expect God to come in and immediately deal with the evil that we see in this world. But I'll tell you, if that's our expectation, we will go through the Christian life frustrated and disappointed in God. This is not a pessimistic statement. It's not a doomsday statement. It's a biblical statement. Until the last day, there will be evil. So our first priority has to be, are our expectations aligned to God's? We must align our expectations to God's. Number two, second priority from this parable we must call evil, evil. We must call evil, evil. Just because evil will always exist doesn't mean we throw up our hands and say, oh, well, remember uh, the parable or the uh, beatitude we just read, blessed are those who not shrug and say, huh, it is what it is. The world's evil. No, 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 no. Blessed are those who mourn. Just because evil exists doesn't mean God's people should ever get used to it. So I wonder, when's the last time you mourned the evil in our world? Are you still bothered by wickedness? In this parable, evil is recognized, it's unwanted, and ultimately, it's dealt with. It's very important for God's people to always remember, we have to call evil evil. Number three, it's a quick one, but this is important. Number three, third priority, we must take our concerns to God. We must take our concerns to God. You know, when the servants saw the weeds, do you remember their first instinct? It was to go to the master. And guys, that aligns perfectly with what our response to evil should be. We should go to our master. We should be praying about the evil that we see, the evil in the world, and the evil all around us. Now, I know that we know this. In fact, uh, I told first service, if I passed out a paper test here and said, when we see evil as Christians, should we A, pray about it, or B, do anything else? Many of us would check A, but do we do it? Are we quick to post or are we quick to pray? This parable reminds us we have to take our concerns to God. Number four, fourth priority, we must endure evil patiently. We must endure evil patiently. Remember what the servants said to the master when they first noticed the weeds? When they saw the, the crops beginning to grow and the fruit starting to show themselves, they said, there's weeds there. Remember what they did? They went right to their master. They said, master, do you want us to go and do something about this? And you know, many of us are wired that way. We see evil in the world and we think, I gotta do something about this right now. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of scripture that talks about the biblical responsibility to stop evil when it's within our power to do it. But what does the farmer, what does the sower tell his servants in this parable? He tells them to do something we're all not very good at. 
to wait. The servants had to wait as both of those crops continued to grow. Think about what those servants' lives were like as they they knew that the wheat and the weeds were mixed together and they wanted to do something about it. But the farmer said, no, we're gonna wait till harvest. So I picture those servants standing there watching both of those crops just growing together the rest of the growing season. I wanna do something about it right now. It's not always easy for God's people to wait. But this priority is that we must endure evil patiently. That leads us to our fifth priority from this parable. We must wait for God's judgment. We must wait for God's judgment. I gotta tell you this funny story that happened to me about a year ago. So um, I was in a car accident. That's not the funny part. Uh, In 2018, and uh, I was trying to go through a, a green light and somebody ran a red light in a big box truck and uh, T-boned me. And I was with my son. Thankfully, it all worked out okay. There's no injuries. Car was totaled, but that all got replaced. And, um, and you know, I kind of forgot about it. But about six months later, I got a subpoena in my, in my mailbox. Actually, the first thing I did was call Craig Edwards. <laughs> what is this thing? Well, I read it to him. He goes, dude, it's traffic court subpoena. It's not a big deal. I'll just go and tell him what they want to know. So uh, I, I went to the traffic court. And I got to be honest with you, on the way to the traffic court, Uh, where I was going to be testifying against the person, I guess the county was bringing a case against the person who hit me. Um, uh, On the way to the traffic court, I was praying for the young man who hit me. I remember from the accident report, because they had his date of birth on there. uh, He was only about 18 years old. And I remember at the scene of the accident, very, very uh, apologetic, you know, took fault right away, made sure my son was okay. So on my way over to the court, um, I was praying for the kid. I don't want his life to be ruined by this, you know, incident. And, uh, you know, everybody makes mistakes. And so uh, I'm praying that just the judge would have mercy on him. I didn't really know what to expect. Well, I get there and uh, I had my computer with me. <coughs> I was doing some work in the lobby, getting ready for my turn to go in. And I noticed a conversation going on, uh, a couple people down from me in the waiting area. And sure enough, it was this young man and his lawyer. And I hear this young man after a couple minutes telling his lawyer, you know, oh, that guy that we got in an accident with, that guy was such an idiot. You know, he pulled out right in front of me and all these things. I'm like, listen, thinking, excuse me? You know, I was there too. Um, I got to tell you, I started to get some righteous anger building up inside of me. And I went from praying for this guy that the judge would have mercy to really hoping the judge would throw the book at this guy. I mean, my son was involved It was a very inconvenient season of my life, and now this guy is telling lies, trying to get out of his penalty. Well, a couple minutes later, the police officer came up to me and said, hey, I hate to tell you this, but I made an error on the ticket, and the judge is throwing out this case, so you came down here for nothing. That was a moment of teaching for me, okay, in my mind. Now, I know that there's people in this tent that have had injustices, you know, that are way, way higher than that done against them. I I get that. But any time that we have to endure injustice is difficult. And that's why this priority, we must wait for God's judgment, is so critical. One thing that's clear in this parable is this. God is not planning on doing nothing about the evil in our world. Every day, the wheat 
and the weeds grow is one day closer to harvest. A day is coming where God will exact judgment decisively and perfectly. And remember what he told the servants, if you do it prematurely, you're gonna make mistakes. You're not gonna judge perfectly. When I send my angels to do it, it will be perfect, it will be exact, it will be decisive. And that's what God tells his people here. In God's timing, he will be the judge. So if you've ever looked around at the world, if you've ever been the victim of a terrible evil, if it just bothers you how much evil is in our world and how much people get away with, and you've wondered, is anybody doing anything about this? The answer from this parable is yes, it's coming at harvest. Number six, sixth priority, we must anticipate our reward. We must anticipate our reward. Just as Jesus promised in the beatitude that you will be comforted, Jesus has a promise for his people in this parable as well. Did you hear it when we read it? One day we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of God. Folks, one day every tear will be wiped from our eyes. One day if you're united to Christ, you will stand in God's presence perfect and complete in his image. You will stand in the kingdom of heaven and shine like the sun. When I get overwhelmed or discouraged with the evil that I see everywhere in our world, I read this verse. God, one day I will shine like the sun in your presence. So many of us get bound in discouragement as we watch our world. I mentioned before, I know there's maybe some older people in here who feel like they've watched the world go down the tubes during their lifetime. There's people younger in this room that can't believe the world that they're emerging in. And it's so easy for God's people to just be discouraged. We have to mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. But there's another side of the equation as well. We also must anticipate our reward. Don't neglect priority number six. Number seven, this is a big one. We must focus on our responsibilities. We must focus on our responsibilities. So if it's not our responsibility to go out and judge between the wheat and the weeds, what is it? Well, we said pray already. Part of our responsibility is also to think correctly about what God has revealed, and we've done that already. But even still, there is work for God's people to do, even in an age where wheat and weeds are both growing. I love what John MacArthur says about this text. He says, believers should hear what Jesus says here in order that their attitude toward the world might be the loving, merciful, compassionate attitude of their Lord who has called them to witness rather than condemn, Whew. to love rather than hate, to show mercy rather than judgment. In that way, we prove ourselves blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom we will appear as lights in the world. From my personal experience, it is very easy to get sidetracked 
on things that are not our responsibilities. It's very easy to go around and judge between the wheat and the weeds. Very easy to do that. It's very easy to try to seek omniscience, try to understand perfectly all of the evil that's going on in our world. It's very easy to be fearful. It's very easy to be anxious. But what is our responsibility? As people of God, we cannot forget our responsibility is to love, to show mercy, to witness of what God is doing in the world. Don't neglect that priority if you're gonna understand the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Number eight, final priority from this parable. We must take Jesus's teaching to heart. We must take Jesus's teaching to heart. You know, it's so easy to dismiss the teaching of Jesus, so easy to ignore it or to deny it. I think that's why at the end of many of his parables, and he does so in ours, he says, if you have ears, make sure they're working. Let him who has ears hear this. And what's very clear in our parable today is that Jesus looks at the world as consisting of two types of people, the wheat and the weeds, the people of God and the people who oppose him. This is pretty typical of Jesus who has a way of cutting through the gray area and making things black and white. This is the same, uh, same one who taught that there's a broad way and a narrow way that you can build your house on a rock or on the sand. And Jesus makes the same kind of distinction here. You're part of the wheat or you're part of the weeds. And the two trajectories for those two types are night and day. It would be a tragedy for you to be here today and not consider, where do I fit into this parable? Am I part of the wheat or am I part of the weeds? You know, one of the problems of talking about the problem of evil in this world is that it can be so easy to miss the evil in ourselves. Don't make that mistake. Are you a son of the evil one or have you been converted? Are you now a son of the kingdom? Jesus calls us, and it's been a theme verse for us in this series, in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Are you a follower of Jesus this morning? Don't leave here without thinking about it. Now, if I sum up this parable and take all those eight priorities, put them through a filter and come up with one principle from this parable, here's what it would be. We'll call it our true north principle for this parable and this beatitude, even when evil is everywhere, I must trust God will make things right. Even when evil is everywhere, I must trust that God will make things right. Now that brings us back to where we started with our beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, what about that text message from our friend? Many of you know enough to know no trite answer would be enough to really help. 
If you fired back a reference or fired back some truth, nothing wrong with that. But what this person needs is truly what all of us need. We need our minds baked with God's holy word. Over time, we must learn to trust the God who is revealed in scripture. There's no quick answer to a feeling or a thought like this. And I gotta tell you, I'm so proud that our church is a place where questions like this can be asked. Too many times in the history of the church, people that ask good questions are told where the door is. We're a place where young adults, where teenagers, where adults can come to God's word with deep, hard questions because God's word has answers for them. And so what would we say to our friend? Nothing quick, (laughs) but maybe we could point to some of the priorities that we learned today. Eight priorities of those who mourn. Align our expectations to God's. Call evil, evil. Take our concerns to God. Endure evil patiently. Number five, wait for God's judgment. Number six, anticipate our reward. Number seven, focus on our responsibilities. And number eight, take Jesus's teaching to heart. Even when evil is everywhere, I must trust that God will one day make things right. Believer, That's the promise of Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. As we walk through a world that is extraordinarily evil, may we walk in step with what you have revealed. We confess, Lord, we are so quick to ignore it. Lord, bring us back to a place of conviction under your word. Lord, help us to remember the priority of blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted and look forward amidst all of the craziness to look forward to a day when as one of your sons, one of your daughters, we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our father. Lord, we lift up your name today. Pray that you were honored and glorified through everything that was said and done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.